Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Doug Delmer, CEO of Better Money Choices. Better Money Choices is a financial planning software that attempts to flip planning on its head by empowering the client to drive a lot of the financial planning conversation and inputs for that matter. And with that, here's my conversation with Doug. Doug Dahmer of Better Money Choices. Tell us about Better Money Choices. Well, Better Money Choices is a financial planning platform that really tried to turn financial planning on its head. In essence, my goal was to put the power of financial planning in the consumer's hand. A plan isn't a plan until it's owned by the person who has to live with the choices. And in the process, what we've done is taken planning and made it very scalable to the average advisor. That's happening in a world right now where the industry is pivoting towards planning. And the only way that planning is going to succeed is if financial advisors can do a whole bunch more of them. More importantly, nobody's going to uh, accept it as value unless they want to do it. And one of the things that surprised me is most people really don't want a financial plan. So tell me about the journey to create Better Money Choices. What was the impetus? Where did it come from? Well, my primary business, the, the business that I started 10 years ago, is called Retirement Navigator. And the goal of Retirement Navigator is to really build recipes for how people should draw down upon their assets, where they should sort their cash flow in order to fund the lifestyle they want. In order to come up with that prescription, you need to have forward knowledge of how much money people need and exactly when they need it. In other words, what are the things they want to accomplish? When do they want to do it? What do they want to do? When do they want to do it? How big do they want to do it? And we started the process with some very rudimentary tools, and it has evolved over time to the point that I recognized it's not going to be accomplished in a client appointment. This is, these are conversations that have to take place at home. And what happened is people really do not have a tool that allows them to organize their thoughts about this and do it in the context of all the other choices that they have. So what we've really done with Better Money Choices is gamified the process of allowing people to explore what's most important to them, what choices are they making that are furthering them towards the things that are most important and what are the things that are preventing them. And it is that what we learned through the process is is that this was much more powerful than what we originally thought it was and that the clarity and confidence it was bringing to people was probably valued at even a higher level than the guidance we are giving as it related to uh, tax planning. Okay. So let's talk about how you enabled that. So you're talking about essentially enabling the family decisions to, that are made on their own outside the financial advisor, because that happens. You know, we ask them about, you know, we talked about this before, we, we, talk, we ask them about what their goals are, and either abstract at best or deer in the headlights, I don't know, at worst, right? And oftentimes these discussions only happen when we're not in the room, right? So talk about what happens when these discussions happen when we're not in the room. How does the client, how does your software enable that entire process? Well, part of it is the ease of use. The other part is is really using momentum. What you want to do is say, listen, some of these some of these choices are really easy. You've got a habit of uh, when did you buy your last car? How long do you tend to hold up? Chances are you're going to spend the same amount. Well, okay, let's put all your car purchases in. Mm-hmm. How long do you plan to stay in your house? You know, if you're going to stay another 20 years, then I I can pretty much predict there's at least two furnaces and a uh, mm-hmm. and a new roof on, on your house. Yep. These ones are really easy. I mean, I'm dealing with the average people between 55 and 75. They've already started to build their bucket list of uh, places they want to go, things they want to do, where they want to stay to do it. Let's start listing those out. 
And what happens is, is as they start telling their story, they get more and more engaged in it. And then you start to look at the cross-roughs that happen between those things. And you, and you start to, to ask if these things were to happen in conjunction with one another, what other implications would those have? We also get out to later in life and say, how, you know, how, is it really realistic that you're going to stay in your house? So you're, it's really getting into a very deep conversation, but you don't try and do it all at once. What we do is we uh, have them go through an initial wizard. I mean, the, probably the, the biggest obstacle to planning, there, there, there's two, but I'll, the first one is everybody hates the upfront data collection. I, like to, I sadly referred to it as a, as a financial enema. Uh, <laughs> like literally, we're going we're to turn you inside out for lack of a better term. But and, <laughs> and unfortunately, that is where it stalls for both the client so many times, unless they're truly committed to doing it. Yeah. And the advisors who don't do planning, who contemplate implementing it and look at the amount of work that is, that is, you know, those are the two breakpoints. That's right. And so the goal of our wizard is to capture all of that data in seven and a half minutes or less. Okay. How? How? <laughs> you simply say planning is not an exact science. It's best guesses. And we will have plenty of opportunity to discover where we need greater detail and correction, and that is quick and easy to do. But in seven and a half minutes, we want to establish the structure. The second issue is we want to get rid of the second obstacle to planning, and that is most people don't trust financial advisors because they recognize this is a process to basically dig into where they're spending right now so that we can figure out where we can ex extract some money out of their current mm -hmm. life. We call it the latte factor. Yeah. And I actually am quite often quoted in terms of saying, I wish people would drink more lattes. I have a different one. She's like, I don't care if you're going to Starbucks every day of the week as long as it's sustainable. And if there's if your if your lifestyle is not sustainable, you tell me where to cut. Because if that latte is the one thing that's keeping you sane because it gets you out of the house with three kids and the dog <laughs> that are screaming at you all the time, then you need to keep it. It's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> Close to 30 years of financial planning has taught me that it's not the lattes that are killing financial plans. No. What's killing financial plans is this whole idea of... People don't know. People aren't getting what they want because they don't know what they want. And as, and as the old Yogi Berra is saying, <laughs> if you don't know where you, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. And so, as a result, we often head down tracks on an emotional basis and discover two or three years later that this is not aligning with what we want, and all of that time, energy, and money has been wasted. And if I could just get people to spend the time drinking that latte and, and exploring some of the choices before they do it, I think I could solve 80% of financial plans because most of it is poor life choices, not well thought out life uh -huh. choices in terms of how they collide with one another. So the whole idea behind Better Money Choices was to get people to put as much granularity into what they want to do, when they want to do it, how big they want to do it, do that against the backdrop of what do you have, and then say, it's your plan, you start telling me what choices you want to make. Again, the key is, is frequent interaction, but the short interaction where you ask really good questions in a concentrated basis to get people engaged in thinking about things that perhaps they haven't put into the process. One of the advantages you have as a financial advisor is you live, I mean, I have 500 families that I work with. I've lived each one of those lives vicariously. There's not much I have not seen. 
uh, previously. Oh, truth. And I can see parallels as I watch people heading down certain paths. It's that wisdom that builds the relationship with the client. The, the, every day, my goal is to come closer and closer to that valued mentor relationship. Each of us has a mentor in our life who we look to who says they know us better than anybody else. They always provide me mm -hmm. good third outside perspective in terms of my life. Well, at the end of completing a Better Money Choices plan, I know my clients better than their kids, mm -hmm. their doctor, their priest, you name it. And now what happens is every choice that comes along, they're coming back to me to ask my perspective as how this fits into the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Good. And again, it goes back to what we said earlier about the, uh, who am I saying about financial planning is a verb, not a noun. And too often it's sold as a noun and too often it's treated as a noun as when the when noun can be typically ignored by most advisors in this industry. But yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's it's something I live as well, where basically, yes, this is the document. This is dead on arrival because the future never works out the way you say it does, but it's pointing in the right direction, and we're going to do this. We're going to do this for the next couple of years, and then we're going to update it again, and every time there's a major change, we're going to update it again, and every time there's a major change to be complicated, you're going to call me, and it's it's the constant nonstop counseling, and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, turning... You know, financial planning itself is turning the industry on its head, right? Like, this this is the thing, right? Like, it's so often it was always about the progression was we sell stuff that it's like if we plan we can sell them more stuff and then there was a bunch of us saying no 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 wait a minute this planning is actually more beneficial than the stuff we sell no, that's <laughs> right? right so that's right. That's, it's that's a natural right. evolution so but i mean I've, I've earned the reputation of being called metaphor man and it's because i usually have a story for everything and i mean <laughs> what, what, what i tell people is listen there's no pilot in canada that can leave the runway without filing a detailed flight plan yeah. It takes a great deal of time doing that, and every pilot knows no flight has ever gone according to plan. No. But as a result of what they've done, they're making better choices in the air in terms of when they encounter those things. That's why Better Money Choices is owned by the client. It's not owned by the advisor. They can share that information with any advisor if they want a second opinion. Okay, so let's talk about that model. So is this B to C, or is this you basically going B to B, but then the advisor gives the client the link, and then they own that instance that can then be pointed wherever. How is this distribution model going to work? The distribution model does both. Okay. As of January, we're going directly to B to C. Okay. There will be two versions of the software. There will be a freemium model, which basically allows people to put their plan in and get a, a definitive answer of, am I going to be okay or am I not? Okay. There will be a premium model that says, how okay am I going to be and how could I improve upon that plan and how can I compare plans to do better? And th that will be done on a uh, subscription basis. Okay. We are also making it available to advisors. And the advisor version is a more substantive version. It has more um, functionality involved in it because if you want the consumer to do it, you can't overload them with all of the other mm -hmm. stuff that advisors are going to look at. Well, yeah, and not only that, you know, and we talked about this off air, the, the danger from my mind with these things is, I mean, danger, there's certain cynical individuals who are going to look at this one way or another who basically say, well, haha, what do I need an advisor for, a planner for? I have a software which does it all, right? And it's like, Guess what? It's a software. You still don't have any idea of, of really what's going on in the background and making it a sausage, right? And, the, and the, the person who does knows about the opportunities that you're never going to look at. And there's certain strategies you could never put into a software like this because, frankly, the clients would be, first of all, 
just dumbfounded and the ones or, or deploy it improperly or whatever it might be, right? So there's always going to be a degree of, of capacity. Like, they, can, they, can they understand put X amount of dollars into an RSP, X amount of dollars into a TFSA based on guidance? Yes. Can they understand a corporate reorganization and the lifetime capital gains exemptions? No, right? Like, let's, 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 that line's got to be drawn somewhere. So it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting challenge to see how you walk that line. What I've discovered from, so we've been really running this since, uh, running it live since the end of September and have people coming to the website on a regular basis. We haven't actively promoted, so it's not like yeah. we're, we're, like, you never want to go live. Well, it's good really. for that. <laughs> uh, however, what we have discovered is that people who get involved in the process are coming back to us for help. Hmm. And the reason they're coming back to us for help is they come with better they questions. They appreciate the complexity now. Yes, yeah. yes. What happens is if you haven't started to plan, how are you going to know that there are potential obstacles? Yeah. And so it is this self-discovery. I mean, the whole process is built upon advanced accelerated adult learning. Mm -hmm. Don't try and tell an adult what to do. Mm -hmm. Let them discover it for themselves and then they will come looking for assistance. So in terms of is this a threat to the advisory world? No, I will I will suggest to you that it is going to be a huge advancement. You know, it's interesting. So much of the impetus for this podcast was to stop advisors thinking that every direct consumer play was a massive threat on their business because i mean i'm sure you've been to the conferences too where someone gets up and talks about something and then people start like almost screaming at them because they're feeling threatened about the entire experience and i think that maybe that speaks a little bit too much to how they conduct business and how replaceable and commoditizable they are but the underlying theme amongst so many of of the these plays that we've talked to on this podcast is that there's a yeah, there's a need for the consumer to have control over part of the experience. But at the end of the day, like no one's congratulations. You have WebMD, but you're you're not performing surgery on yourself, right? <laughs> like there's no amount of just the do it yourself tools that we're going to give people that are a foundational thing that are really going to replace high level professionals who truly understand not just how the basic sausage gets made, but how to basically do the complex things that go beyond that I and mean, coach people through it. Along that same line, I mean, I was the first advisor to be on the well simple platform. <laughs> yes, you were. That's how we that's how we first uh, got introduced actually. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And uh, am I afraid of well simple? No bloody way. All they are is th yeah. they're my housekeeper. They're pipes. They're, they're, they're pipes. Yeah. And and the issue is is that my value comes from planning and the more time I can spend planning, the more valued I'd be. And so I'm using technology and, to but do we that. All, I mean, we understand why that's such a threat to so many people, right? Because they get into this business because of the money, of the investments, of the excitement, of the you know, delusion to believe that they're going to basically be beating the market by reading the newspaper and research reports, right? Like they get into that, that's how they define their personality, their value proposition. And you're telling them all that's useless. You should outsource that to people who can do a better job of it and focus on actually helping people in this way. And they're like, that's not the reason they got into that, right? Like I would love nothing more than to see this industry start to attract people for planning, yes. actual planning versus them watching Wall Street and thinking it's really cool. Well, and the new Financial Planning Association and your whole emphasis Thank upon, <laughs> upon evidence-based fiduciary responsibility. I mean, so much of planning, planning that is done right now has people chasing income numbers or accumulation numbers. And, people yeah. are not interested in how much they can accumulate. They want to know what they can accomplish. And you can't be a fiduciary if you don't understand what they're trying no, to accomplish. No, it's amazing. I think maybe it's because of what they read or expect. And you get the client saying, like, oh, I have this much. How much income can I expect to take from it? That's not the right 
question, right? Or how much do I need like on retirement data to do to basically have enough to have this income? That's not the right question. Like life throws any number of curveballs around at us. And at the end of the day, whatever it is you have and whatever it is you're saving towards, it better be able to weather the storms of how that life is going to change, right? With a large degree of safety and certainty. So it's, yeah, we try to, humans try to satisfy and boil it down to one number, Right. And I've literally had clients fire back. Like, I don't need this plan. I just want to know how much can I take every year? It's like, okay, you tell me what to assume as a return. And they look at me dumbfounded. Right. It's like, I can tell you right now, they put it under your mattress. You can take this much per year and you run out of this year. <laughs> but the second we introduce a, a, even the slightest segment of volatility or your health going sideways out the window. Yeah. It's not a pension world anymore. <laughs> so, okay. So talk to me. So essentially you have built a, found, a financial planning software that, again, the entire concept is you're turning it on its head and you're basically pushing it to the client first in a lot of ways. So you're pushing the relationship uh, to the client, which frankly has also been threatening to advisors as well because they're often worried that if they, if they see what, the man behind the curtain, <laughs> they realize we're just a man behind the curtain, right? I don't. I, I love collaboration tools. I think that this is, this is well, the way things I, I, was go. gonna, I was going to say, I have now, I mean, the efficiency of my office is unprecedented right now. 95% of my uh, appointments are all now done virtually. And those appointments are seldom longer than 20 minutes. Yep. They are scheduled on as-needed date basis. Many times I have no idea who I'm going to be talking to on the day. I, I guess what I haven't done is I haven't laid out. As the, an advisor, you have a portal that allows you to see who came on last night and was yep. working on their plan. Did they take their plan from successful to unsuccessful? And so you've got a complete pulse on your business in terms of who is active in there, interested, and therefore I know where I need to be. There's also a, a place where they can ask for help and book an appointment immediately, mm -hmm. and those get scheduled. I have no preparation time because they've prepared for me. They've yeah. Let's look at what you've done. You know, this is what you did. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, versus my action item, which is essentially, oh, yeah, call me when there's a change. They can actually facilitate that change and push it out. And you know what? The reality is, is that that's, that's the way of everything is going, quite honestly, right? Yeah. It's, it's um, just the amplification of experiences. They shouldn't have to call me to say, you know what? Instead of buying, say, $50,000 on the next car, I really like that Tesla. What if I spent $75,000, you know, pushing that? slider should be enough to tell them eh, red light right like that that should be enough but uh, the, the most the most common statement i make is more of one thing usually means less yes, of another yes. what choice do you want to make yeah. and your life will be defined by those choices it's just now for the first time in your life you have a tool that allows you to discover the outcome of those choices before you make them yeah and oftentimes i've gotten people frustrated just like look this isn't witchcraft <laughs> like this is i'm not harry potter here like i'm not magically i'm not going to go back and make the numbers more realistically improve for you. It's like, I, you give me input, that's all I can do, right? And your choices are there. So being able to, to enable them to basically be able to take some ownership and some, not just ownership, I mean, ease. Like, I mean, like, he had this debate the other day about my buddy who never uses Amazon. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, I am standing with you right now. And if I need any supplies, I can hit a button and it'll be there before I get home, like, before I get home tonight. Like, why would you put yourself through the trouble of going through, you know, going to XYZ or three different places or one, even one when it's that easy, right? And it's just, it's not about devaluing us, right? It's about, it's about enabling their experience to be as user-friendly as possible. That's right. 
And then the other issue is, is it, again, this is going back to technology. I'm using Zoom as, as my... Um, Same here. There's for, your endorsement, for, Zoom. Um, <laughs> for virtual meetings. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about Zoom is, is that I can give them control of my computer. And I have a rule. It's your plan. If I touch the, if I touch the keyboard, it becomes my plan, and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> Therefore, you have the keyboard. If you don't know how to communicate what it is, I will help you. But in the process, I'm accelerating your learning curve in terms of how to use the software. Interesting. So, so I never touch the keyboard with the plan. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I do have, there's two key functions that I do have, and that is I have the ability to duplicate their plan and go away and explore with a whole bunch of things without touching their plan. And I can send that plan down to them if, if they decide they want to accept that thing. But the, the most important thing, and this comes back to my work in, in uh, Retirement Navigator, is we have the ability on a year-by-year -year basis to prescribe exactly where the money's coming from. Uh -huh. So this is a drawdown schedule. Uh -huh. All, there's a number of other softwares out there who tr try and do alter the drawdown by prioritizing which account will be depleted first. Do I deplete RSPs first, open, yeah. or whatever? And that's and not that, the solution. It's never one. It's, the, it's a combination. It's a combination. You've got to know where the peaks and the valleys are in spending. I've got to preserve the tax-efficient funds for the peaks. And, and, and the, the tax rates and, and the clawback thresholds. And, yeah, there's, there's so many factors that and, go into this. And, and then you've got to worry about loss of income splitting. I yeah, mean, all of those things. In this country, you do. In other countries, you don't. But continue on. And clawback is our term for phase out. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I forgot that we were talking to the world here. And we talked to the world. Yeah, you know, some of them have it worse than us. Not many have it worse than us, <laughs> except in France. I don't know what you guys are thinking with tax rates. Continue. Uh, <laughs> let's continue. So, so yeah. So it's it's not. Yeah, exactly. I, I've always been like, oh, I, when I see them as simple as do the one versus the other, I just say like, no, no. It, it really is not. It's it, not I, that I, easy. Actually, I look at it in terms of they're doing me a favor because it does tell people that that the order makes a difference. Yeah, but it's it's prescribed on a year by year basis. At the end of the day, really, yeah. what we're saying is is that what happens is so many people are so anxious to prescribe the medication before they've done the diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, that's part of our normal process is that simply you know we have the regular you know we'll we'll do the most tax efficient thing throughout the year in order to get the money. But then come end of year, it's a conversation about okay, let's make a full accounting of all your other forms of income. What were the distributions from your inve investments? And this is where your tax bracket sits. We want you to take X out of your RSP. We want you to take why out of that. And it's basically because we know based on the plan that if we spread that tax bill out, that we're going to be able to do that. But at the same time, there are years where this peaks and troughs, right? So if we, maybe it doesn't call for us taking, maybe we're taking more from the RSP we need to this year, but there's a tax opportunity to do so, slide that into something else. And then when there's a need for the extra cash, we're doing so, we're taking it out on a tax efficient basis. In other words, sometimes it's better to pay a, a little bit, a little more tax now than yeah. a whole bunch more later and on. It's, you know, it's so oh, uh, sidetrack. I mean, I did an article on, I did an article in conjunction with someone else like two years ago on, with the Globe on it was um, not waiting to 71 to riff, right? And it was the... The feedback we got was kind of all over the place, right? Like the consumers are just like, oh, I, you know, tax deferral, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I had like two or three calls, like, why is no one else writing about stuff like this? I'm like, this, this is not rocket science, people. Like, this is. Well, it's, it's no different. I'm sorry, this is a Canadian thing, but I mean, 92% of Canadians make the, the worst possible choice of when to start their CPP. And a simple piece of software like we have with yeah. Better Money Choice, you put both of them in and you say, 
Well, again, that's, I don't know if I made that same claim with the same percentage. I mean, it is, it is situationally dependent, but in general, yeah, we're always looking for, and actually I'm playing an article on this. I'm so sick and tired of rules of thumbs on Canada pension plan. It just drives me up the bloody wall. It's like 70s more, 60s less. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, oh, crossover point is here. It's like you didn't factor in taxes and, comp and, and inflation and like, and it's just like, it's never that simple, right? That's, like that's what, right. Are the, what are the, what are the circumstances? What are the factors that, that come into play here? And you have to make a best guess at the time based on that, right? So, but you're right, no one does that. They either default to earliest 65 or 70 because those are the three, or as soon as they know they can take it. Early. That's right, yeah. that's right. But, but I mean, I've got the actual statistics from um, Services Canada. I know how bad it is and it's pretty miserable. So what is it? So let's, let's have this conversation. What's it look like? I believe the last one I looked at was 87% had taken it before age 62. 80s, no, okay, so that... Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's. I think it's largely it's situation dependent on lots of things, including other investments you have, lifespan. But I would have to say that that number should be a lot more normally distributed than 87% before 62. And, and the unfortunate part is most of the other people that are taking it are taking it later only because they work that long. <laughs> So it, it, it the, would suggest there yeah. is not good knowledge. Which in terms again, of you don't have to, you know, that used to be a rule, you have to stop working, you don't have to anymore. So it, it's an independent decision now. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we're, anyway, not, we're, we're down, we're we're down a rabbit hole. Uh, Evidence-based. Okay, so back to the software. So talk to me about the, first of all, the, the consumer reaction thus far to what you've done. And I'm not talking about the clients in your client base, the ones who found you okay. and have been basically doing it. What's the feedback been thus far? Um, the feedback is really a progression of ahas in terms of they're starting, they're having conversations they've never had before. The other issue is, is that in most households there is, I will call it the provider, and there is the individual who figures out how are we going to spend it. Yeah. And that creates a great deal of friction. Well, now what happens is we have both of those parties sitting down with a credible source between them so that one can't say that's impossible with, in fact, the program says, yes, you can afford that. On the other hand, if it can't be, it's what choice do you want to give up? The other thing that astounded me, and it could be based upon who are the people who are coming to us first, I have spent more of my time giving people permission to spend, giving them the confidence to spend. I mean, I'm dealing with very high net worth people who are terrified that they're going to run out of money. And it's Yeah, it's amazing how when people hear this, they just, the average person just doesn't understand that because most of the average person is probably spending too much. But you can't go your entire life worried about this and living frugally. Right. And, and not just maybe just within your means, constraining your spending with that mindset okay. and then suddenly hit a certain age and turn that switch off. Right. I mean, I'll share a personal experience. My own in-laws very much like that. Right. And, you know, one with a pension, one without. But they'd always been very, very responsible with their money. And I'll tell you, people, you know, for years like, oh, don't worry about us. Take care. You know, the daughters are like, just take care of yourselves, go on more trips, whatever. Finally got them to sit, to sit down and do a financial plan. I said, so here's the deal. Why aren't you spending more? Right? And it was just like, well, we were, can we? It's like, yeah, you can. And I basically said, here's the, here's the best case scenario. Like spend below that. You're spending this. You can spend up to that. Anything, anywhere in the middle is acceptable. Why are you waiting? Don't, don't wait to give it to us. And, and one of my favorite quotes again is they, they don't put pockets in shrouds. They don't put trailers on hearses. Uh, so, um, you could I, put a trailer on a hearse. There's no point. <laughs> and so what happens now is we push them to say, is this your goal? And if 
this is the biggest life you're going to live. Wouldn't it be a lot more fun to start distributing this to other family yeah. members while you're on this the top side of the bus? You know, upgrading the cruise ship, like you name it. Yeah. Or again, we've pushed the envelope. I'll add another 10% and 20% to their spending and say, this is still how much is left. We've got an estate problem. Now suddenly we're having a meaningful estate problem as opposed to them worrying about, I can't deal with the estate. I don't think there's going to be one because it is their story. It's not it, my story. Yeah, it never ceases. It's quite astonishing too. I mean, we, we love showing them these projections that are not indexed, but just showing them, by the way, you're scheduled to die with this many millions of dollars. And they're just like, that's never gonna happen. It's like, well, the return number was like 5% in this case. And the reality is, is that you're making more money per year than you need to live off of. And you failed to factor in CPP and OAS to like, you know, it doesn't, it's not a ton, but it pays for a lot of basic living expenses. And just do that right number and you're going to get there. And they're just, they're just staggered by it. Right. So uh, it's amazing when people get to that stage and then just don't, you know, think that they have enough to retire. They never thought about this large and, amount of wealth that they really behind. And I guess the other thing I've discovered, but this again, comes back to retirement navigator, a good tax plan in terms of drawing down properly. Such a Delta. If, if I'm talking about a husband and wife, white color, Translate somewhere between two hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars in an average plan, hmm. uh, and it is so easy to do once they tell you where the peaks and valleys of, the, of their spending is, and you're able to prescribe what to do. Now, my question is, if I am to provide value, and the value is four hundred thousand dollars in tax savings over the balance of your life, do I have a value problem? I don't think no. so. I mean, I've never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, personal experience, you know, we a book we took over clients that we had to compel to get into the financial do the financial plans. Some who still have never been engaged in that and just don't want to do us for that use us for that for whatever reason. No matter what conversation we have with them, and then we have the ones who come in who sought us out for that. And the relationship is very different across all three. One is I don't value us as much, which is I understand you're not giving me the opportunity to demonstrate value. The others are just super happy that we've managed to add so much more value to the relationship. And then the third, they come in and frankly, when they see the value that we put, they see the value from day one, right? And you're right. Like if I can have a, you know, $400,000 tax deviation, even, you know, <laughs> that that's going to basically just, just by drawing down from the right sources and managing this properly and rumors of tax rates going up, <laughs> which let's face it, we know how the election went. We, we can pretty much bet that that's only going to become even a bigger issue. And they're talking about even more clawback thresholds for things like personal exemptions and whatever. So this is becoming ever more complex and convoluted. And it actually just creates more opportunity for anyone who's taking a really good planning approach to provide substantial value well, and that's one of the things that converted me to planning in the, in the first place is I realized, wait a sec, I do all this. Forget about trying to outperform the TSX by one point. Like this has an infinitely bigger oh, impact I, I mean, my than comment, that ever would. My comment to each of my clients is now that you're in retirement or the balance of your life, I will give you greater return than what your investments will. And you've yeah, got a lot of investments. You nailed it. Yeah. The, the the return on managing it right over one's lifetime is actually higher than the return differential versus the market. Like that's that's exactly it. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. Um, you've listened to the podcast. So you've probably heard of them. Maybe you're ready for them. So the first one is if you had one wish for something you can change in the industry or in your company or on your product, what would it be? I was not prepared for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're but, not uh, listening as much as you claim. <laughs> okay. okay. So 
the thing I, I want to change, and, and uh, part of this is that we're doing it with the launch of Better Money Choices, we're going to democratize the access to planning. We, mm -hmm. We're going to take the complexity out of planning. It's not, as you said, it's not brain science. It's just describing a, a route. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of what I want to change, I'm in the process of doing it. And I still have further to go down that road to simplify it even further. Excellent. Okay. Second question is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today with Better Money Choices? I would suggest it's the current stage of the financial services industry in Canada. There's an awful <laughs> lot. There's an awful lot of people who are trying to last it out, stay in the industry long enough that they can exit. And there's not much in the way of new thinking. And there's got to be some new blood coming into this industry. You're I don't know where it's going to be. Well, we so. Way to, like, we can talk for hours on this subject. But I mean, yeah, I, I the utter frustration I have when conversations break out at conferences, questioning, you know, people saying we should look at a fiduciary responsibility. And then the people who are like five years away from leaving are just like, no. It's like, this isn't about you. You're going to be gone. Goodbye. Like, stop. Or banning of DSC. And it's like, which in the US, B share, B units, or whatever it's called, with, with embedded compensation. It's like, why are we allowing the people, tra the transition to, you know, the, the majority of people who are leaving the industry to dictate the terms for the next generation of this industry, right? Now, not all of them are that. Yourself, you're, you're, you're more gray than I am. Um, <laughs> and you're definitely forward-thinking in this regard. But just the rent-seeking behavior that they're just going to hold on and, and eke it out, doing as little as possible, and not, and it's just, it's, we, sh we should not be even allowing an audience to that conversation. And, and that's between Canadian banks and the oh, elder statements yet. in this industry, is it any wonder we yeah. move at get glacial speed? And everybody talks about, and I love the entire like average age succession crisis, like where are these young advisors coming from? It's because we've done such an absolutely abject, terrible job of A, attracting people to an industry because we tell them we're going to help people, then tell them they got to sell insurance to survive for the rest, to all their friends and family to survive. So strike one. Then, so people discover that, you know, they got lied to. I get that, that conversation happens all the time with young advisors reaching out to me. And it's like, okay, so the average age is in its mid sixties. How many of the, these advisors at conferences, when you ask them, put up a hand, have a succession plan. And almost not a single hand goes up. Have you ever thought about working with a junior or pairing up with a junior or parking your ego so you're not the only person with the word? And no, right? There's no mentorship. There's no there's no develop, career development path. There's no guidance. I mean, you look at medicine, you know, you're not allowed to be a doctor until you've worked with a, worked under a doctor. You're not allowed to be a lawyer until you've articled as a lawyer. Like this is this model exists. Anyway, this is why an association got started recently. Anyway, let's let's move on beyond that. And I will say I'll plug the US again. I'm seeing this behavior start to happen down there. People graduating programs in financial planning, going to work as paraplanners while taking the CFP, learning their chops, and then hanging their shingle after the fact. But a lot of that also comes from the entrepreneurial side of the RIA structure. We're closer here than you think. Well, I can, I we'll can only hope We'll have a conversation later. Okay. Yes. I have a big smile on my face right now. <laughs> There's been a lot going on. Okay. So last question for you is um, what excites you the most about what you're working on and what gets you out of bed to keep basically going at this? The, the need out there is so huge. And my biggest frustration is how do I get there as fast as I possibly can? And I have so many ideas of how to do that, that there's many nights that I spend staring at the ceiling trying to figure out which one to pursue next. Yep, we have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, thank you very much for coming out, taking the time to come on. 
I encourage everyone to check out Better Money Choices when they have time. But uh, once again, thank yeah, you yet again. That's bettermoneychoices.com. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Doug Delmer of Better Money Choices. I always love talking to Doug. We have very like minds, as you can hear. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.